0: just want to ask a question by way of opening uh, is there anybody here who is uh, 80 or over uh, would you just pop your hand up if you're 80 or over oh don't have any over 80s in our second service we have a, a few in our first service um, uh, yeah is there a hand am I missing it No? (laughs) Okay, oh yeah, right at the back, fair enough, well done. Um, This is gonna be a story that will appeal to you, uh, particularly if you're a little bit older. Around four months ago in December 2021, uh, a lunch supervisor in a school in Manchester called Brenda Shaughnessy, retired from serving at the school um, at the age of 85. 85 years old, Uh, that is good going. She served there for 43 years Uh, and she oversaw over 7,500 lunch hours. That's a lot, isn't it? Uh, Brenda started at the school way back in uh, 1978 and she helped uh, serve school dinners um, uh, pretty much every school day since 1978. And when it was announced uh, that she was finishing after all that time of serving, the head of the school said this, our school will not be the same without Brenda being here every day looking after everyone. She was my dinner lady when I started as a pupil at this school, so don't miss that. The head teacher is now, you know, uh, she, uh, he had been there uh, as a pupil himself. And I remember her warmth and kindness to everyone she met. So he's recalling back when, she, when he was in school uh, and she was there. She has been exactly the same to generations of pupils in our school. On Leavers days, every pupil wants, wants to have their photograph taken with this lady Brenda. So many former pupils and staff going back 40 years have contacted us to say how much they remember her with respect and admiration. And every year she comes to prize evenings as a guest to celebrate the success of the pupils. So that was the head teacher just reporting in on this lady at the end of all of those years of serving. One of the students said, "Um, she's so, so hardworking. Even when we were all off and people were shielding, She was still coming in, making sure that the tables were clean uh, and showing a level of dedication that is really quite rare to find. Uh, Having somebody as dedicated as Brenda is invaluable to the pupils. It shows and teaches life skills that you don't get in the classroom, and that's from a student. Uh, That's a very uh, good observation. Uh, She's going to be very much missed. One more student said, she's been here for many generations of my family. Everybody remembers her. She's everyone's favorite dinner lady. She's been here for us all, and she just never fails to put a smile on our faces. So 43 years after starting in 1978, Brenda's last day of serving was uh, at the school on Thursday the 16th of December 2021, and as you can imagine from having served for such a long period of time, at the announcement of her retirement, she did get inundated with a lot of gifts and cards and presents, and staff and students wanted to really wish her well. Uh, They really did. Now I found a picture of uh, of her online from her last day, which I'm gonna ask the media team just to pop up, There she is standing at uh, her canteen position uh, and some of the students in the background are wanting to celebrate. And if you look really carefully up on the wall um, of the school there, you'll also see that this school has got some great words up on the wall in their dinner hall and it says this, God has created me to do some definite service. Can you see that in the background there? Uh, Just up there. Uh, What an excellent thing to have in a school. You know, just imagine that serving 43 years and having something like that written on the wall, that's just awesome. God has created me to do some definite service. And it seems to me that this lady, Brenda, really has lived those words out. She really has, hasn't she, uh, in serving her school. Now, we're launching a brand new series today and it's called The Last Supper. Um, And uh, the artwork, I think, may come up. I just want to publicly credit Luca. Luca, where are you? You're hiding in the back again, aren't you? Would you stand up, please, just a minute. Come on, stand up. There's Luca. Yeah. Just, just wanted to, 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 to say thank you to Luca, because he, he very often produces our artwork for us. When I came in this morning and saw this on the screen, it took my breath away. I was so, so pleased with what he's done. He's basically reproduced Leonardo da Vinci's The Last Supper, but the way he's done it is very clever, and I'm not going to get into how clever it is, but how he split it across the projectors is just smart. So thank you, Luca. I really, really appreciate it. Um, so we're gonna be doing a series over the next few weeks where we're gonna unpack the teaching of Jesus from John chapter 13 through to John chapter 17. Now I, I get that often churches will build up to this, go through John's uh, kind of te- uh, Jesus' teaching in these chapters of John in the lead up to Easter, uh, I, I understand that, but I felt a prompting from God in praying through what we should bring next after our assigned series, that we should Look at what Jesus teaches in these really key chapters as a response to Easter. So you're gonna kind of see how Jesus is in the lead up to uh, big decisions he makes, how he uh, speaks to the disciples, how he models certain things, and very often churches will teach this in the run up to Easter. The Lord has told me, do this as a response to Easter. Don't just leave this teaching here, take it forward and apply it and see what the impact is as we take it forward from here, as though we are disciples responding to what Jesus is teaching us and recollecting the things that he said to us. Now if we take the Last Supper and the parables of Jesus and Matthew 5, 6, and 7, you've kind of got the bulk of Jesus' teaching right there. Uh, that will give you the core of what he, he wants to teach us. And the reason I wanted to open with the story of Brenda, in uh, the dinner lady in that school in Manchester, serving for 43 years, with those wonderful words up on the wall, God has created me to do some definite service, is this. Her serving and that statement captures something of the essence of our first message today in the series from the Last Supper. And we're gonna be looking uh, at some teaching and some example setting from Jesus uh, about serving others from John 13, uh, as Shola so nicely read for us just now. God has indeed created us to do some definite serving. Hasn't he, church? He has, He's, he's got some things for us to do. Uh, and as we heard from Sherlock as she read out John 13, 1-20, something really big jumps out to me, I don't know if it jumps out to you as well, but it's that Jesus is the one who serves. Jesus is the one who gets up in the middle of the meal and he starts washing his own disciples' feet. Now, he is their leader, they follow him, they call him teacher, they call him Lord, but they don't serve him, he serves them. And, and just a fresh reading of John 13. We're so used to it, aren't we? Some of us have been Christians a long time. We're kind of used to this. This is a really radical thing for a leader to do. It's really unusual. They don't wait on him even though he's the son of God. And that seems kind of slightly round the wrong way that he then steps up and serves them. And I want to try and unpack that a little bit. So I've got three points for you today. We're going to focus in on three key things that come out of this first part of John 13. Uh, you can follow along this uh, in your YouVersion app uh, there's the, the event is there for today and all the, the, the scriptures and the teaching points are there and you can add your own notes if you want to. So the three things are, that we're gonna see this morning is that Jesus gives us a pattern to follow. A pattern to follow. We're also gonna see an example to avoid and then lastly, we're gonna get an understanding about a standard that we need to set in our serving. So it's a pattern to follow, an example to avoid, and a standard to set. And we're gonna kind of go through each of those briefly. Uh, Let's jump into the first one of those which is a pattern to follow. It was customary in the time of Jesus that if you had a meal together and gathered people around that quite often people would arrive at the the venue having walked quite a few miles in dusty roads with sandals on. And so inevitably their feet would be pretty dusty and dirty and it was protocol to offer uh, like a basin of water and for feet to be washed at the beginning of that. You know, and perhaps uh, an equivalent today would be you'd arrive at someone's house and they'd they'd take your coat, wouldn't they, and then they'd go and hang it up for you. That's maybe an equivalent in our modern day culture. Um, Now, foot washing, what we have to understand about foot washing in Jewish culture in Jesus' day was that it was a job that was viewed as the lowest of the low. It was considered really menial and kind of right down the bottom of the list in terms of glamorous jobs to be doing. Um, In fact, the Jews themselves paid servants to do it because they didn't want to do it themselves. They considered it that menial and that low. And it was also supposed to start uh, before the meal got going and before people got together to eat. Um, And so at the last supper for Jesus to interrupt the food and then start to go around washing his disciples' feet would have been a pretty shocking thing to do they really would because he's kind of pulled the meal together he's got his disciples with him he's kind of their leader and yet he does this thing that in most Jewish households would that would be paid somebody would be paid to do that um, and and yet he does it and so that would have been shocking for the disciples to see that really uh, they would have been embarrassed they may have felt a bit caught out a little bit kind of like oh what do I do now Jesus is doing this kind of weird thing that you know maybe we should be doing that Jesus is somebody who rightly accepts their affirmation as teacher and Lord and yet there he is washing their feet and serving them. And that seems to be a little bit round the wrong way. The theme of serving is massive with Jesus. I've gotta say it to you just straight. Serving comes with Jesus. If, you were, if Jesus were a stick of rock um, and you kind of broke him, broke him open, you'd have serving all the way, you know how they have words all the way down the middle? I don't know if ever you've ever had a stick of rock at the seaside, maybe that's not part of our culture here at BCC, but if you go to the seaside, you can get these long suites and they often have words written all the way down the middle. Uh, and they don't change, the word's the same all the way through. If you, if you had a stick of rock that was called Jesus, it would say serve all the way down the middle, I'm sure of it. We see the idea of servant-heartedness or serving connected with Jesus way back in Isaiah when he describes somebody called the suffering servant. And this is 700 years before Jesus even gets born. Uh, And so this is a big theme in the scripture. Jesus says it of his own purpose that it was to serve. Uh, It says in Matthew 20, 28, the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus and serving are inextricably welded together. They, they, he's, they're very, very closely linked. The Apostle Paul makes a massive appeal to some Christians in a, in a town called Philippi, um, and he, he says, he makes an appeal to them to serve like Jesus does, to have a servant mindset. It says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a what? A servant. He wants to serve. And he wants the Philippian Christians to serve in the same way that Jesus is a servant. So the headline message in some ways for this morning that Jesus sends us as his followers from the example of washing the disciples feet is that we are to serve one another humbly as Jesus served his disciples. That's the example the example to follow. That's the pattern right there that we are to follow. And I've gotta say that no matter how high up or how important we get, whatever status we end up having, it's absolutely vital that we serve one another, that we serve other people. You know, Brenda, that dinner lady, quietly served the children in her school for 43 years, 7,500 lunch hours. That's just the mind-boggling amount. But she brought them dignity and kindness and warmth Uh, from a place of humility and from a place of of having a heart attitude of putting others first, Uh, she really did. So no matter whether you're a dinner lady or whether you become the CEO of a massive company or the head teacher of a big and important school or even if you become a member of parliament, we're to be defined by service if we are followers of Jesus because he serves, he serves so we should serve. That's really key to say that. And one of the reasons we offer serving opportunities here in BCC is not just to grow the kingdom of God in Birmingham, and of course we wanna do that, but it's also to develop servant-heartedness in each of us. There is part of us that doesn't get formed properly to be like Christ if we don't serve. It's not right for us to allow that to happen. So we get the chance to follow the pattern that Jesus demonstrates at the Last Supper when he washed his feet when we serve, when we do the same kinds of things for other people. So first of all, there is a pattern given to us by Jesus to follow. That's number one, pattern to follow. How would we follow that pattern? So let's just unpack that just a moment and give you some practical, a practical idea. I'm gonna do that today. I'm gonna give you the, the core teaching and I'm gonna give you a response and a way in which you can work that out. I would suggest to us find ways to serve others that can't be returned by the people you're serving. Find some ways to serve other people that they can't really return to you. Uh, Brenda served all those kids for 43 years and there's no way that uh, she did that to get something back from them. She just served them. Uh, And so what we need to do is find a means to put something in without that calculated considering of well, what would I get back out of it? That's not really what we wanna do. We need to assess that our motivation is pure and be highly insistent on the purity of that motivation. So serve, but without considering how it might come back to you. That's a great way to look at it. Uh, So a pattern to follow in the person of Jesus and then think about how you could serve and just give that serving away. That's just a great thing to do. Let's jump into point number two, an example to avoid. (coughs) I wanna say to you that the, the washing of the disciples' feet stands in big contrast to another washing that goes on and it happens within just a few hours of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. Let me just explain how this works. The Roman governor, in charge of making that final decision about what to do with Jesus, after his trial by the Jews for apparently blaspheming by claiming he was the son of God, a bit awkward for them, because he actually was the son of God, um, but that that, that man responsible for making that decision about that was a man named Pontius Pilate. Now the Jewish leaders have to bring Jesus to Pilate because they are under Roman occupation and they can't go ahead and just do a capital punishment and put Jesus to death on their own for blasphemy, which is what they would have done if they'd been by themselves. They have to get his permission as the Roman governor for that capital punishment to go ahead. And what Pilate has done around the time of Passover and the Last Supper is just before the Passover, Uh, Pilate has created this tradition, and the tradition's really kind of all about his own popularity, if we're really honest, but the tradition is that at each Passover festival, he allows the crowd that gathers to choose a prisoner to be released. It's not very just, you know, that some of those prisoners are in prison for a reason, and yet, Pilate is saying, no, go ahead, you can choose somebody. And what happens is that Pilate tries to release Jesus because he can't find any charges against him, and as we know, the crowd gets stirred up against Jesus by the Jewish leaders, And they start shouting for a very different prisoner to be released, a notorious murderer named Barabbas. Now we kind of know that, that's part of the story, isn't it? Let me just pick it up for you in Matthew 27 from uh, verse 21. It says this, and this is the point at which the governor is asking the crowd what to do, okay? Which of the two do you want me to release to you, asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus who is called the Messiah, Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Why, what crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. There it is, the key contrast action. He washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It's your responsibility. So. With this idea, or this motif, or this image, if you like, of washing, we have a contrast, a massive contrast between Jesus on the one hand and Pilate on the other, and it's a huge contrast. Jesus washes the feet of others to serve them, to love them, and to show them that they have honor and dignity, and to to give them an example of how to treat one another. By contrast, Pilate washes his own hands of a difficult situation, he disowns Jesus, and he gets out of making the necessary but tough and also righteous decision he should be making and he doesn't. Pilate effectively shows us how not to serve other people from our position of leadership. Uh, We often use the word absolve uh, to describe Pilate's actions here in washing his hands of Jesus And, uh, uh, and we say that he tried to absolve himself of responsibility. But absolve means to declare someone not guilty and what Pilate does in washing his hands is he basically tries to say, well, I'm not guilty, when really he should have been saying, Jesus, you're not guilty. But he doesn't do that. He kind of steps out of his leadership responsibility. He, he steps aside from making sure that Jesus has a fair trial. So even though he washes his hands, we still see that he's guilty of not serving anything like he should have done, properly like he should have done as a governor. And so Pilate's example is the example to avoid by comparison with the foot washing that we see from Jesus. And and what Pilate does, his lack of serving basically allows an innocent man to go to his death. If you add up the betrayal by Judas, the false trial by the Jewish leaders, and then this poor, poor serving from Pilate, which is not righteous at all, um, the three of those things combine to ensure that Jesus goes to the cross. But actually, Pilate had the power to stop that. He could have said, no, 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 that's not right. I can't find anything wrong with this. You know, this is, you're not guilty Jesus, you know, I'm not going to allow this, but he doesn't do that. The washing of the disciples' feet is the total end of the spectrum opposite than the washing of Pilate's hands. And that, so that gives you the, the contrast, it gives you the example to avoid. <coughs> and the question is, are you serving others really, or are you actually just serving your own needs? And I'd suggest that it's Pilate's really just trying to get away with serving his own needs. And a great question to then ask is to say, is my serving modeled on serving someone else? Is it really about someone else or is it actually just about me? So Pilate's actions, an example to avoid. And let's just give an example of how we might work that out ourselves in our life. How would we we step into that? Well, just as Pilate kind of shrugged off responsibility I wanna suggest to us, let's shrug on some responsibility. Let's take on some things. Um, I I want us to pick up some responsibility. So in our workplace, that might be that instead of just automatically saying no to a promotion or more responsibility, genuinely consider, actually, it might be time for you to step up and to take on a bit more responsibility and to do a bit more and own some more things. In our volunteering, it might mean that you own a process in where you volunteer fully and totally and the, the buck stops with you if it doesn't happen. And that you step up in that. You're not just kind of helping on the side. You're actually owning that process. In our families, taking responsibility might be saying, I'm going to fix some things that aren't right. I'm going to have some hard conversations. I'm going to get with some people and repair some breakages. In our, in our neighborhoods, that might mean getting to know some people uh, in our street and start to look after our locality a bit. Uh, just recently, I've been invited by the guy opposite me to, to form part of a neighborhood watch, so I'm gonna kind of do an hour a month walking up and down our street um, and, and chatting to him and checking over things and making sure people are all right. I mean, it's only very low level, but it's a way in which I can take some responsibility for my neighborhood. In our nation, taking responsibility might meaning turning up and voting. You know We've got some local elections, haven't we, in early May? Uh, We may have some national elections at some point, I'm guessing. Please go and use your vote. Don't not vote. We can see evidence all around us of countries who don't have a voting system, and look where it's got them. It's not great, is it? Please use your responsibility to vote. That's so essential. I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. That's up to you, but, but please vote. And in our world, taking responsibility might be supporting people who are on mission, like these wonderful folk here who are stepping out. I mean, these guys are from Stafford, ordinary couple, they get called by God and they're doing amazing things for him around the world, how cool is that? And they've gone ahead and done it. They're taking responsibility for making their world better and all of us are asked to do that by Jesus. So don't be like Pilate, take real responsibility uh, and that will really, really help you. So with serving, we see a pattern to follow, and an example to avoid. Lastly, a standard to set. A standard to set. Uh, I wanna share with you about a film called uh, The Courier, starring Benedict Cumberbatch, which got released in 2020. And the, uh, and the film is a, a true story, in fact, about a businessman uh, called Greville Wynn. unusual name, um, but he basically went into business over in uh, Cold War Russia and struck up a connection with a Russian guy called Oleg Penkovsky. Uh, and it was in, in the Cold War during the 1960s. Now, Penkovsky is a high-ranking Russian source with access to information about where they were locating the missiles in Cuba. So he's a very key person in the Russian military, and MI6 realized that this connection between the English businessman and the Russian military guy is too good to pass up, and so they start passing information back from Oleg Penkovsky through to Britain and then on to America. Um, now, when Greville doesn't fully know the, the, the gravity of the information he's being passed, and it's buried in with some other stuff he continually gets for orders, and so he just passes one envelope off, and then he processes the rest. So he's a little bit innocent, although not quite. I've got, you know, if you're in the Cold War and you're receiving packages from Russians, you, you've got to be a little bit kind of concerned about that, haven't you? So. Uh, I'm not sure how innocent he was, but the relationship worked for quite a long time and was quite strong. Now Penkovsky's motivation, where where Greville Wynn is about business, Penkovsky's motivation is a very righteous one. He is appalled at how his country is aggressively building up military strength in the way that it is. And so he decides to take action based on some deep principles of doing the right thing even though he knows that there's a very high chance that it's going to cost him uh, in his own country. Uh, So he's got these very deep, strong principles of doing the right thing, uh, even though he knows his nation won't see it that way. And to be honest, it's quite a timely film for the moment with what's going on in in Russia and with Ukraine, because we are seeing some very courageous actions by individuals in Russia protesting the unrighteousness of what they're doing in Ukraine. So it's very, very topical. Now this information gets passed by Penkovsky across to America and it's actually hugely instrumental in preventing uh, a full-scale war in 1962. What happens though is that someone in the secret police betrays Penkovsky, betrays him and he's arrested and he gets put to death for what he's done against the Russian state. Now, this is a true story and what you have to understand is that this connection between these two people is effectively a hidden piece of our world history. The two of them, between them, prevented a world war. There's no question about it and it's a fascinating piece of history to look at because I never knew that this went on. It's a film that's a story about loyalty to values and betrayals by people, and also how just one connection between two people can have a massive effect. And in fact, the Russian guy, he keeps saying this to his English friend throughout the film, he says, I won't do the uh, Russian accent, I'm not good at that, but he says, maybe we are only two people, but this is how things change. In other words, what he's saying is, we're two people, and while we can, we'll make a change for good. And it's a massive change for good. It really is huge, but it, it's kind of been hidden in the midst of time because it prevented something. You'll have to watch the film to, ha- to find out how uh, things turn out, and I, I've gotta say, it's a tough film, You know, it's an adult film, please don't show it to your youth and kids. Uh, it's very, very moving though, really worth it. The Courier uh, from 2020. What's the reason for my bringing that story this morning? The reason is that just as Penkovsky decides to do the right thing, no matter what the cost and how it looks, so does Jesus. Something really significant stands out from Jesus' actions in John 13, 1 to 20 about doing the right thing, it, and it's this. Jesus washes the feet of Judas as well, even though he knows he's gonna betray him. I don't know if you've spotted that, but the, basically, even though Jesus can see clearly where things are gonna go with Judas, it doesn't stop him from washing Judas's feet. He still goes round and washes all their feet similarly, and I know in the, in the text we have that d- discussion with Peter, don't we? But I, I find that very hard, I would have found that very hard to do if I'd been Jesus. Very, very difficult. Knowing in advance as well that Judas was gonna betray me and being measured and good enough and having enough principles in my spirit to say, no, I'm still going to wash your feet, Judas. I'm not gonna let this define me and define my actions. Now, we're going to explore what happens with Judas a little bit more another time on another occasion in this series. Um, But I want us to understand the, the, the significance of what Jesus has done and what it says to us about serving others. When serving others, don't set our standards by what the other people are like towards us. Don't do that. Set them by the standards Jesus has. And set them, by, set them by the standards that, of your principles based on who Jesus is and stick to your principles. Don't be lowering your standards to the principles or the values or, or, or the stuff from the other people that may not be so great. Don't modify your, your serving based on your perception of whether you think that person is worth it or not because Jesus didn't do that with Judas. And this is a very challenging teaching this morning. I'm asking you to serve people no matter what they're like. I'm asking you to serve them even if you have a very good reason to suspect that they're not worthy of that service because that's what Jesus does. And I've got to say to you, Jesus is in another league in this respect. He's on another level, isn't he, in terms of service. This isn't just kind of gold standard serving, this is platinum standard serving from the master of all serving, Jesus himself. It's challenging, isn't it? You know, Christianity is not an easy stroll in the park. Christianity is a hard faith. It asks you to do difficult, difficult stuff that runs against the grain of who you are. Really hard stuff. This is hard teaching today. I'm sorry to hit you with hard teaching the opening of a series. But it's there in the text. Jesus does not change who he is because he perceives that someone he's serving is going to do something horrible to him. That is massive. That is massive. That is massive. We are to serve from who we are in Christ, not from what we think of other people's uh, or our our rating of them. We are not to lower our standards based on our opinion of the person we are serving. Our serving should follow what Jesus did the night of the Last Supper to Judas. He made no exceptions for Judas. He allowed himself no room to lower his standards, although he did say some things. He called it out a bit, didn't he? He said, ah, but not all of you are clean. And we're gonna get into that on another occasion uh, in this Last Supper series and try and understand how Jesus' behavior really was to Judas. Jesus served from the same high standards within himself regardless of who was receiving it. I'm just gonna ask our worship team just to come on back up, thank you Kevin and the team. And I'm gonna suggest a, a way in which we might set a standard ourselves. Because Jesus sets an incredible standard with Judas. How could we copy that? What do we do to do that ourselves? Because that's the real, I mean, if it's a platinum standard like, and Jesus is in another league, how do we do that? That's so difficult, that's so challenging. Here's an answer, here's a suggestion for us. Serve others as though they were Jesus himself. Serve everybody and serve others as though they were Jesus himself. That's your guide, that's your rule of thumb, that's your principle that you can serve to. In fact, Jesus teaches in another parable, the one immediately before the Last Supper, uh, he teaches a parable called the parable of the sheep and the goats. And and I I haven't got time to get into all of the ins and outs of that parable, but the, the message of that parable is that when righteous people serve others, they're actually serving Jesus. The righteous people who are the sheep in the, in the parable, they ask the king who represents Jesus these questions, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in uh, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick and in prison and go to visit you? And the king who represents Jesus replies, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. So we set the standard By seeing Jesus in each and every person we are serving And I can tell from your faces You are thinking, man, that is hard (laughs) And it is, it is hard But it's a great thing to do as well And it's the right thing to do And it's what Jesus shows us Don't see Judas, see Jesus and that way your standard for serving will always copy the standard that Jesus has for you and for others. Would you all stand with me? In the foot washing what we see is that Jesus Jesus gives gives us a pattern to follow. Let's serve others with no expectation of return. In the hand-washing, Pilate gives us an example to avoid. And the way we counter that is by stepping up in some of our responsibility. Let's take on some responsibility, not get rid of it. And thirdly, by including and not avoiding Jesus, uh, Judas, sorry, Jesus sets a standard in, in our serving. And the way we can tell that and that the guide we can use is, let's serve others as though they were Jesus himself, amen? Amen. Let's worship and then we'll respond a little bit more. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks, team.